This week's episode, we cover topics which some people may find distressing. If you find yourself relating to any topics discussed today, please reach out to Women's Aid. All details on how to contact them can be found in the description of this podcast. Episode 116 of the Talking Bollocks podcast brought to you by Go Loud. It's me, COB. It's me, Teddy Flower. And today we're joined by... Eve McDowell. Eve, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Yourselves? Uh, Travelling all the way up here, we're all right. But are you all right? <laughs> I didn't mind the journey. It's sunny up here and raining in Galway. So, so they're coming all the way up in Galway to do this. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Do they do flights to Galway? We well, can fly to Galway or to Kerry and... You can fly to Cork and all There's that. like an airport on there in Ireland, I think. Yeah, no, there is. That's how they get the Did Air fly there? No. Did <laughs> Christy Dignam not tell us she was in a crash? In knock, yeah. That's in knock. Is that Galway? No, Mayo. Right, well, uh, yeah, so basically. I've, I was in Cork the weekend, yeah, it's like a three hour drive. So if I had to go to Kerry, which is like a three and a half hour drive, I'd fly. You would fly? Yeah, 100% I'd fly. But don't see why everyone flies, doesn't fly. Yeah, neither do I. And like, how much kind of petrol money be to get there? Don't know, but a lot of people are uh, getting a lot of slack on. Line off these is climate activists. Yeah, people. yeah, for the emissions. <laughs> the way I look at it is so the flight's bad. going either way. The flight's going to go either way, so you may as well be Where are we there? Is there flights from Dublin to Kerry? Yeah, yeah. We know someone that does it. Leanne, shout out to Leanne. She's a uh, 98FM yeah. uh, radio host here. She flies to Kerry. That's where she's from. Um, so <laughs> that's where I'd be on if I ever had to go to Kerry. Uh, we no. have zingers. I oh, have a baldy head, by the way. Parents <laughs> yeah. only got his head shaved. If For sorry. the first time ever. Is like it since I was a kid. Oh, it's bitter. What's <laughs> yeah. the story with that? But uh, yeah, I just thought it. Just get that out there. Yeah, I'm sitting here with a baldy head for anyone that's just listening. Uh, we have zingers to do. Right. I'm intrigued because Eve says she has one, but will we hold it to the end? Yeah, you go first. Right, right we'll yeah. go first. Yeah, take yeah. the pleasure off. So I have two, right? So one of them is there's a red button. When you press this red button, you get a million quid. But a random person in the world does. Do you press the button? Wouldn't even have to ask me. I mean, in the first three seconds of that question, I'd bang that red button. And that's probably just because I want to bang the button anyways, but I would bang the button. Would you? A million. Yeah. A million quid. I thought there was going to be like an alternative option here. <laughs> um, I mean, if someone's like, surely there's a certain amount of people that die every few Minutes, it could be like a 99 year old man. But why does he have to die? <laughs> no, yeah. but we're all going to die. I oh, know, yeah, but you're taking his life. What if it's your man? Yeah, but one in eight billion? Doesn't matter. No, there's a possibility it's just slim, isn't there? Yeah, but would you risk you actually that? have a higher chance to win the lotto. You're risking Numerous your man's life. Times. You're risking your man's life with that button. I don't think you are. Well, you're, you're at. It's around the person in the world. How many people is there in the world? It's like eight billion or something. Okay. Is it? I just took a guess at eight billion there. <laughs> It's about one in seven or eight billion chance. I think, it, I think it's eight billion, yeah. But look, you're going to take someone's life for a million quid, are you doing it? Right, you're sure, are you playing devil's advocate here? Yeah, or are yeah. you... We can't all just agree with the singer. Someone has to go against it. Right, so are you banging the button or not? No, I'm not going to bang the button. What? I wouldn't take someone's life for a million quid. Their life to me is worth more than a million quid, Terence. I hate to see Calvin tries to play the angel on this podcast yeah. and I look bad to see what see when the cameras are off now Calvin's going to be looking I'd keep pressing the button yeah. <laughs> I'll press the button 20 times over, over so and over you're pressing the button I'm banging that button no, he was trying to give us like justification just say yeah you'd bang the button I, I don't know I don't know because in theory then you're putting like your value on someone's life and yeah. I don't think I yeah I don't know if I could do that so you're not pressing it that's why you was even thought about that <laughs> obviously like I'm like it's someone's life. I know. And you know what? Money actually doesn't really mean fuck all to me. But I just mean if someone offers me, if someone puts a million cash in front of me, it's imagine like, you press the button, then you're doof, you turn around. At the time, you'd be like, oh yeah, grand, it's just pressing a button. But then, like, you'd start thinking, oh, what if this is this person or that See, that's person? That's my issue. Wonder, next week's guest on really the podcast. Think. Imagine like, oh, so how are you? How are things? Oh, my dad dropped dead last week. It was mad. He was perfectly healthy and all. You're there with a million quid in the back pocket. Wouldn't be coming back to do the podcast. Really. Ah, oh, 100% the word. A million quid? You'd spend a million quid in the oil, like. <laughs> would you not? Know? No. spend it in Temple Bar fairly. Oh, <laughs> you'd, you'd get about 100 points in Temple Bar for a million quid. Yeah, a million, you could spend a million quid. Like, how much is a gaff? You buy a gaff and you have pocket change left. Do you know? You definitely wouldn't have enough for a point in Temple Bar left after buying a gaff. <laughs> no. no, you wouldn't. No. 
So, so Eve's never been to the Temple Bar, by the way. That's why we're talking about that. So, we're like, look, you're not missing out on that. And it's about 10 up or a point, and it's just full of tourists. So, mm-hmm. it's a kip. There's nothing wrong with tourists. No, the but tourists I mean, like, are getting robbed, but. Yeah. Does, the button, does the button factory count? Just no, not no, really. Okay, okay. We try and even <laughs> distance that from Dublin. We're like, the button factory are oh, keepy, you know, <laughs> that type of way. But uh, have we any more zingers? I have another one. Someone said, Would you rather hear a Pierce Morgan interview with. Noel? Why Pierce Morgan? Like the uncensored one? Yeah, you really know his okay, one. Yeah. Noel and Liam Gallagher sitting down together. Mm-hmm. Or Alex Ferguson and Roy Kane. Definitely Noel and Liam Gallagher. I think there's more I, drama yeah, there, isn't 100%, there? There's much yeah. more drama. Yeah. I ain't the football though, if. No. <laughs> so that plays a little bit of a factor, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. But like, yeah, even without the presence of Pierce Morgan to see Noel and Liam in a room, I think that'd be better again because they'd oh, probably 100%. be more. They wouldn't hold back, I feel like. They'd have to yeah. put a fence between the two of them. To kick the head yeah, off but then other. Pierce Morgan would probably like probe a little bit to try and you know yeah. get a reaction out of the two. Of course, he would. Yeah. yeah, isn't that sad though? That was. Like, they're brothers. Yeah, and they just have no contact, and all the shit that they don't get at all. Yeah, is that not sad? Yeah, kind of is. But I just think it's mad that they don't get back together. Yeah, that's the saddest part. Uh, you'd that we wonder. Know the fans. You'd yeah. wonder if there's more that we don't know about. It, it has to be. Really. Has, to, has to be. Yeah. I know Liam does always be on Twitter giving it loads about him. And he's be like, oh, I reached out to him and he never reached, he never found me back and all this crap. Has to be deeper than that. Has yeah, it's kind of embarrassing as well, resorting to, I know people process things different ways, but like putting that kind of out there. Yeah. It's a petty instead of like, yeah, dealing with it. Yeah, definitely. We were saying, what are you waiting on? Like, are they built, they're not building any more hype because like, no matter what venue it is in the world, any arena and he stayed him. They tell it, out. but yeah. they legit just hate each other. It's not like they're trying to build hype. They legit. But, but this is what I'm trying to say. So yeah. like, it's it's definitely hatred. It's not as if they're yeah. like, do you know what? We leave another two years. We build more hype. It's like, no, I actually can't stand that. Do you see the Netflix show? Which one? About the them. Supersonic. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, I seen like that they one. were kind of never close. Yeah. Even when you he were pissed kids. on the stereo. What? Because he pissed on the stereo. Legit. Legit. Yeah, that's one of the stories. I swear to God. He pissed on his stereo? Liam pissed on old stereo, yeah. I swear to God, that's true. That's it's in that documentary. Childish, that, isn't it? But then they went on world tours after that and had bleed. Doesn't make sense. But they were just never close. They, they never really liked each other, do you get me? So yeah. now they just made know. all the millions together and were just like, actually, fuck you. Yeah, I have my own man now. Yeah. If you spend enough years in Galway, though, you'll start to resent Oasis a little bit. You can't walk up Shop Street without... Someone singing Wonderwall. Yeah. Damas a culture. Damas from Mid. Yeah. She from Mid. Nearly sure. Ninety five percent sure she's from Mid. But uh, yeah. I thought it was Galway. Mayo. I'm gonna guess Mayo. I'm gonna say Galway. Right. Right. Let's just do it. So he wants to be a millionaire. There's a million quid in the line now. Yeah. Fuck pressing the button. It would be I found a friend in this situation. You. Oh wait. If you weren't in the room with ring you, I only had that conversation the other day. That what would be your found a friend on him once we million. million percent. <laughs> one million percent. Yeah. Calvin knows everything about everything. So like see why we just mentioned Oasis, he just likes to give it a little no no one mentioned that. But you not think it's mad that like them two, you know, yeah I mean our kid and all that and the man's like, Oh well how's it going in from me? Uh, Tommy me and... well, it's mad, no see who Yes, <laughs> a million quid there. You're at the winning. Yes. Tommy Malle, proper I'm, English, yeah. rang his ma, and she's like, "How are you?" I'm yeah. like, "What the fuck is going <laughs> on here?" You know what I mean? It's like that. But uh, yeah, so do you want a, another good question? Yeah, name any member of Oasis, and the second name's not Gallagher. You can't. <laughs> I can't. They're NPCs. We just had a minute silence. They're NPCs. <laughs> the two boys <laughs> and NPCs. That's it. You could put them two on the stage and three mannequins. No problem. No fucking problem, pal. Right. Enough of Oasis. No, Ian. hang on for a minute. Eve oh. has a zinger. That's what I was going to say. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, Eve um, said to come with a zinger, so. Okay, just one thing I always notice that Galway and Dublin have in common is like vicious seagulls. Oh. So, now, quick one for you. Yeah. We start slagging seagulls on an episode before. I've been like, seagulls are like on the juice. They'll snatch our handbags. Just yeah. showing Elvis. Roddy Doyle happened to be the guest that day. And he like started on us. Yeah, he drew up a comparison with if you don't like seagulls, you're actually an underlying racist. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what we said. So, uh, yeah. So so just before you go any further, be Roddy careful. Doyle might be, careful. be listening. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And he might hate you after this. Okay. Um, would you rather... Be stuck in a room with 25 seagulls or one lion. 25 seagulls all day. Can I add something onto it? Go on. But you have like a bag of chips in your hand. 
Oh, take the line. Oh, I'd stay with three lines. I would. I take the line. Yeah, no, I, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, you're not. The line's just going to kill you, isn't it? Have we anywhere to hide or that? I fancy my chances throwing the bag of chips towards the line and hopefully he'll go for that. Like, you know the way dogs come at you and if you throw food, they'll be like, oh, what's that? And they go. I'm yeah. hoping the line is going to go that way. Seagulls are going to kill you sound dead. 100% and a size of them. Like yeah, they're getting bigger. They're getting much bigger. That's what Roddy Doyle's telling us as a field shortage. That's why they're more vicious. Then how do you get no, bigger? No, they're just lazy and they're coming into the city. Yeah, but how are they getting bigger? Oh, we yeah. said something about they used to go out to the sea and all and now they're coming into the city and all. Yeah, because there's a field shortage, you were saying, yeah. and the dumps and all this crap. And I'm like, but if there was a field shortage, there'd be less numbers and they'd be scrawnier. How is yeah. that more of them and how are they bigger? Are they in Flyfit or something? You have a Roman <laughs> membership. You know like, I'm, I mean? I'm from the coast in Sligo and there's seagulls there, but they're smaller and they leave you alone. They wouldn't dare come near They're not in gangs. I came to yeah. Galway and, like, you, you go to Air Square and it's like, it's the seagulls. They're in organised crime. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I used to work in, like, uh, like a shop in the city centre and sometimes we'd go for lunch in Air Square. And it just wasn't worth it. No, you just can't, <laughs> can't go anymore. You can't take a bougie out of your hand yeah. or you can't go down to Spanish Irish, yeah. Yeah, you take a bougie out of your hand and then your wallet out of your pocket. No yeah. problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. People are talented. I've seen them take a can I've seen them take a can off someone before at Spanish Irish. Yeah. yeah. Same what? They took a can off someone. A else. can? Yeah. Did you ever see the one where you, the one goes into the shop, he waits for your man to yeah. go through the automatic <laughs> yeah. doors, takes a packet of cribs and legs out? But your man tried to stop him or not? Yeah, like, what? Like, why would you try and stop a seagull robbing cribs over a random shop? A packet of cribs, like? Yeah. It's nothing to do with you. It's not your crypts, not your show. And even if they are, let the it's a fucking tea. What are you gonna do with them ring the guard? Yeah. Let them take the fucking crypts for fuck's sake. Talk a pack of the hill helps your man chase them down the road. You know what I mean? Right. If we're done with zingers, we're gonna jump straight into you, who you are, and your story. Cool. Now. Okay? So it's just a little shh from zingers. Yeah, if you just wanna tell us who you are and why we have you on the podcast here today. Uh, well, I am Eve. I am from Sligo, but I've been living in Galway for the last while. I suppose I've kind of gotten to be known and on asked on things like podcasts or interviews because of my own experience of stalking and my experience for campaigning for stalking legislation alongside Unaring. So yeah, I suppose that's really? <laughs> that's me. Yeah, some of me. Yeah. So the reason why you've become an advocate for this is through lived experience. If yeah. Mind if you go back through that whole story and how that came about? Yeah, so I was a student in Galway back in 2017. Um, there was this person who wasn't a direct friend. Like, you know, like in student accommodations, it's small. You kind of get to know people. Yeah. Like he was like friendly with someone who was friends with someone in our group. So sometimes we'd end up at the same like parties, high parties yeah, or yeah. afters yeah. and stuff together. And that was fine. There wasn't much like direct contact, maybe the odd like small talk conversation here and there. And that was fine. Um, like nothing too mad. Uh, always knew there was something a little bit. I was, I know, you know, when someone kind of just like doesn't sit right with you, yeah. um, but didn't pay too much attention to that. And then um, I was working in a clothes shop in the Air Square shopping centre and he used to come in there all the time. So he kind of like was known by the staff members and, He'd come in and sometimes he wouldn't even talk to me if he was in there and like he'd be kitted out and all that, them clothes. So, um, you know, we just kind of thought, okay, he just really likes the brand, whatever. And then I started hearing a few stories, just like kind of whispers that he wanted to ask me to some like, I don't know, the engineering ball or something in NUIG. And I was like, oh, Jesus, I don't know about that now. Uh, But I never heard anything from him. So I just assumed that like, right, okay. He's not going to ask me. That could have just been hearsay or whatever. And then I just started noticing little things. Like he stopped coming into the shop, but he kept like walking past the shop. And this would happen a couple of times a day. So I was like, okay, that's strange. Don't know what's going on with him. Won't pay too much attention to it. Then I was coming out of Little one day and I seen him like looking over the wall at me. And I was like, okay, that's strange. So I thought I'd go over and approach him and be like, I didn't think he was, like, looking. I thought he was there for something else. So, like, I went looking over. Looking over a wall. Yeah, he was just, like, crouched down, like, below the wall. I was like, okay, that's, that's strange. I'll just, like, go over and see what the crack is there. And by the time I got to the wall, he was gone. So, I was like, okay. Just, you know, I'll ignore that. <laughs> then I had to Are call. Are you worried at that stage? Or? No, not at all. I was like, oh, he's obviously, like, waiting for someone and, like, didn't want me to see him, you know. 
I mean, I suppose it did like cross my mind a little bit, but I was like, ah, oh, surely not. Do you think you'd like, I'm just being a bit paranoid here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't even reach that stage. I was like, surely there's a logical explanation mm. as to like why he was there. But then I did. So then like 15 minutes later, I called into my friend. She was at a house party in the state and she had my house key. So I was collecting that off of her because I was just home from work. And um, when I came out of the house, I seen him in the estate and it was exam season. So I was just like, oh, how are you getting on with exams? Just like something to like. Yeah. I did. It was just the first thing that came out of my mouth and he ran like the opposite way. He just like didn't say anything. He ran away. And then I was like, okay, this is getting strange now. I remember saying it to a girl. I was like, I'm pretty sure that um, he's at, Igor's after following me here. And she was like, oh, that's really bizarre. Then there was this his couple of interactions, Dave, has he ever said anything? Like, I mean, not in these, like earlier on, like at the start of the college year, if I would have ran into him, there was a few times, um, there was another time where he texted me on Facebook asking if I wanted to come to like a house party or whatever. And like there was a gang of us that went and he didn't talk to me too. Like there was nothing overly abnormal, yeah. no like yeah. excessive contact, no like coming up to me in person kind of thing. Um, it was when he like started avoiding contact but was still present. That was like, yeah. read that's when that started to freak me out. So that went on for a couple of weeks, like just him outside the shop or just started to see him everywhere. And um, just, I was like, I remember I was dating someone at the time and me and him went for food and we were in the place uh, getting food and we looked out the window and he was there again. And I was just like, OK, no, this is like getting too strange now. And um, we were walking, he was walking me home. And then as we were getting into the estate, I seen him like crouched in the bushes. And I was like, OK, this is like gone too far now. So at that stage, I was like, okay, I need to go home for a few weeks and just like get away from this because it was starting to impact. Like, you know, I was like in bed at night and I'd hear something outside and be like, that's him. Is that him? Yeah. yeah. Or I'd see like someone in the corner of my eye and be like, oh, Jesus, that's him. Or I'd be in work and like looking outside and that kind of thing. So then I went home for, um, a while and I noticed when I was at home I'd like be going for walks and I'd still be looking over my shoulder kind of thinking he's like gonna be there and that's when I was like what is going on and at, even at that stage I don't know if the word like stalking would have came into it I didn't really know what was going on and didn't know of anyone that was dealing with a similar thing I think I remember googling like what does it mean if someone's following you and then there'd be like stalking articles from America would come up or maybe the odd one in England no mention of it in Ireland whatsoever so I was like, okay, I must just be being paranoid. He's obviously a little bit off. But like, I mean, even when I spoke to my friends or people I was close with at the time, they were like, sure, like he's harmless. You know, he's a bit odd. But like, what's he actually going to do in all seriousness? And yeah. I was like, right, okay, you know what? You're you're already right. Are you So you like down yourself then? You're like, I'm just overthinking this? Yeah, I really thought I was overthinking it. And I think like people around me thought that I was overthinking it as well. Yeah. I think it's because like they didn't expect what was going to happen yeah was gonna happen because they knew him as well so we were all just like ah you know like this isn't gonna surely this isn't gonna gonna lead yeah like yeah yeah, yeah. but then at the back of my mind there's always still the what if this what if this especially like at night time if i was or if i was on my own or if i was in work or got nervous about anything like you know it it would play on my mind then but you try and kind of like push that away and really gaslight yourself into being no you're just you're just being paranoid um and then it just started escalating then to like outside the work, outside the house. There was one day in particular where I was like in work and we used to have to go in early morning on a Monday to like replenish the stock. And he was outside the shop then and I was just like, like the shop didn't even open for another hour and a bit. So I was like, there's no reason for him to be in the shopping centre. Then one of my friends called in at like 11 o'clock and they were like, oh, you know, he's like sitting on a bench down there. I was like, what the hell? He's been here since this morning. Then I went on my lunch, seen him again on my lunch finished work went to a pub in our square met my friend was telling her about it and she was like what the fuck sorry I don't know can I swear (laughs) she was like there he is and we looked over and he was there and again he like ran away I was just like what the hell like I was like he's not even coming up and saying anything to me so then we moved pubs because like I got uncomfortable and we I was like can we get a window seat because I just want to keep an eye so we got a window seat and I seen him walking up and down like outside the pub for ages like there was a gang of us there and we were like what is he doing and we went to McDonald's and I was kind of nearly joking at that point I was like watch now he's going to show up again and he did and I was like no like that's it so me and my friend Kira like went and we were like we're going to 
go confront him now and see what the hell this is about. And he ran, ran down a side alleyway, like off of Shop Street. Um, and then like I was like out of breath by the time we got to the top of the alleyway. But Kira like kept going down. Um, and then she was like, oh, we must have lost him. And as she was coming back up, she screamed and she realized he was crouched down behind a car. And she was like, what What are you doing? Like, why are you following Eve? And he like put his finger to his mouth and he just went like, shh. And he ran away laughing. And then I was like, oh, no, this is not. OK, this is that the scary. Day? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I'm going to cross you there, Liv. No. Was that the day when you realised it's not a coincidence anymore? Yeah, exactly. And I remember shouting after him because he was so recognisable because he had like a really thick beard. So I remember shouting after him like, you're not doing a very good job of hiding and I can spot you a mile away with that beard. Mm. I don't know why that, that just like out of anger came out of my mouth. And then within like two days, he was outside my bedroom window with his beard, eyebrows and hair shaved off. And I was just like, OK, you know, I should have, looking back now, definitely should have contacted the guards before that. But at that point, I was like, now I really think I need now to. Now he knows but, where you live. Yeah, yeah. Well, he knew, he even had known where I lived before that. But um, I don't know why I was so reluctant to call the guards. I think, like, I was like 19 and, like, you know, you kind of see the guards as this, like, scary authority figure. Yeah. You know, when you're, like, a teenager, you're nearly avoiding the guards. And, and especially since you've probably know a lot of people who know him as you said like he's had the kind of social interactions you don't feel that yeah he, he's not and a stranger basically exactly kind of know him. and i didn't want people to i don't know i was kind of like paranoid about people thinking that i was like i don't know like there was just a lot of people who kind of responded being like oh sure aren't you lucky that there's someone fan- that fancies you that much that they're so people would think you're fully yourself kind of yeah yeah i was yeah nervous about that like like oh what if people you know what if it yeah. is just a like, don't flatter yourself yeah thing. yeah exactly yeah and especially since when you ran off doing the, like, the shush thing, you'd be like, if you were to explain that to someone, you'd be like, I'm going to ring the police. They'd be like, well, he's, he's clearly joking. Yeah. It, it sounds a bit This childish. is it, yeah. And because and there was none of that all. direct contact either. And then even like when I rang the guards, like they didn't offer for me to make a statement. I didn't know what a statement was at the time. So um, I didn't like understand, I suppose. Like I, I probably like it should have been pushed more with them or it should have been taken more yeah. seriously. But I think I was young. They were kind of asking me questions that made it, it just felt like to me that they weren't taking me seriously or that they were like, you know, oh, well, did you have a relationship with him yeah. or is there something more to this? And like, even if I did have a relationship yeah. with him, that's Doesn't no excuse just, for him yeah, to be outside my bedroom window in the bushes with his all his hair shaved off or following me in and out of work or, you know, anything. I think people often excuse talking behaviours if it's post-relationship breakdown because they're like, oh, that's between that's you. them, yeah, you know. Yeah. It's, it is the most common like type of stalking is like post-relationship yeah. breakdown. Yeah. It doesn't make it any less serious than, you know, what anyone else goes through. Do you ever think about reaching out to like his friends or people he'd know and be like, Will you have a word with him kind of thing? Yeah, well, there was only two people that he had kept in contact with in Galway, like from his school that were kind of half in our group. And at that point, they had stopped speaking to him for like external kind of arguments that I don't know, I wasn't really involved with. Like, so it's not like this was just like an out of the blue. Like, so like there was like a year or so where he was like a little bit off, but no major red flags. And then there was a good few months where there was a lot of red flags. Mm. But either we were overlooking them because we were like, surely not. Or people weren't communicating because like, you know, people were kind of seeing things about him and not wanting to tell me in case it would freak me out because they knew I was already a bit like scared about it. So just, yeah, a lack of communication and understanding on what was happening, I think. Uh, And we were all so young as well and hadn't heard of any of this happening to anyone else. So you do kind of, I think everyone was a little bit in doubt and unsure of things. Um, Mm the time yeah after he showed up in the bushes with everything shaved off I was like no this is do you think that was when he shows up with everything shaved do you think that's like a direct a direct thing he done when you said about the bird yeah do you think that, that was like pure intentional to be like oh let's shave everything off then like so it sounds like a psychotic yeah. 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 It could, yeah I think it was a mixture of what I had said and the him trying to disguise himself thing and that's what really frightened me because I mean like yeah, if someone's, I just remember thinking, if someone's going to do that, then God knows what else that they yeah. do. Um, and yeah, at that point, I was just in complete trauma. I think for like a long time. Then after that, like I'll never forget my housemate's reaction to because she came down and I like wasn't long living in that house either. And she came down and she was like, "What's going on?" And that was the first time I said, 
I think someone might be stalking me. And she came into my bedroom and she like fell back on the bed and was like, who is that? Like, who is that? And she just like went like white. And yeah, we just both looked down and we were like, what? Just like completely like something from a movie. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is going on? I was like, surely this is not happening because you never think that it's going to be you or someone, yeah. you know, that something like this happens to. But in, like, if you look at the stats in England, one in five women are stalked in their lifetime and one in 10 men. And it doesn't always escalate to that point, but like each of those cases has a possibility of escalating to that point. Like we don't have extensive research done in Ireland yet. I'm working on research being out now with UCC and that's going to be out like in the next week or so. So that we'll have like, you know, a better idea of how prevalent it is. But it wasn't until I went public with my story did I realise how often it was happening in Ireland as well. Yeah. Um. But yeah, after that, I just... I think I went home again and then eventually when I yeah came back, um, it was the night after I came back. I remember my housemate had just come back. She went home as well. She was like, oh, I'm going to have to sleep on the couch because I forgot my bedroom keys. And she woke up at like seven o'clock in the morning um, and she was really warm. So she opened the balcony door for some air. And um, as she was falling back to sleep, she heard the floorboards creak and she looked up and he was standing there with a hammer and... Um, that's when I heard the scream and I like jumped up and started pushing furniture in front of my bedroom door. And um, then she was outside my bedroom door like, please let me in. And I was like, is he gone? Is he gone? Because I'm not opening this door unless I know he's gone. And she's like, no, he's gone. And I opened the door and she was like holding the hammer. And yeah, we called the guards out then. Guards came and they were like, right, we're going to go find him. So then they left and we were all just like me, my ex, her and our other housemate were just locked in my bedroom with all the furniture pushed up against the door just like waiting to hear back and it felt like forever like I think that was probably the most traumatic part because we were left without a guard there he had just broke in there was a hammer in the house we were like what is going on where is he no contact I actually don't know how long that timeline was but as well there had been no one living next door to us for like a couple of weeks or months because the landlord was in the middle of switching tenants and um, that morning then I remember like we heard the stairs and we thought that it was our stairs but the two stairs were connected Uh, we thought then that he had gotten in upstairs because already you don't expect that someone's going to come in your balcony. So how did he? So he stole scaffolding from a building site like on the other side of the city and had carried it to our estate and had set it up. Um, there's like There was like a row of balconies. He set it up at the end of one of the balconies. And apparently it had been there for like a week and um, he probably would have known from watching me that that wouldn't have been a way that I would have walked because I would have had no reason to walk that way out of the estate. Um, so yeah, none of us notice it and I don't know, like neighbours obviously just thought it was the property management doing works or something. But yeah, he had like put that up at the end and then hopped over the balconies. But then like, as well, what I say is like the times that I seen him and he was there scares me, but it's the times that I don't know about that, you could that have freak me out more. Yeah. yeah. So and how long he was in the house next door? You were saying you heard the stairs? Oh yeah, no, it turned out that it was the landlord and his son and I remember like opening the my bedroom window and I was like you know they obviously this was like what just after 7 o'clock in the morning and yeah. I'd open the window and I was like someone just broke a door house and we're waiting for the guards to come but back that's how police edge you are like, yeah still, yeah like, exactly it's the worst thing yeah so like they thought that we were like out of it on drugs and that we were yeah. freaking out or something like because um, obviously that's not what you expect to hear off someone at 7 yeah. o'clock in the morning mm. but um, no like that was definitely the worst of it that morning um, and then eventually the guards came back and they said they got him. He had broken his ankle or something when he jumped off the balcony. Oh, he jumped uh, off the balcony? He, yeah. So like he tried to attack her with the hammer. She had a duvet on her and she kind of like put the duvet like up like that, which knocked the hammer out of his hand. I think he panicked then. And just legged it? Yeah. And jumped? Jumped off what, the balcony. How many stories is it? Um, I'm so bad at measurements. <laughs> there was an apartment underneath us that was like a single story. Yeah. So... Two stories basically jumped. It was yeah, about that. How long how long was this going on for from your first encounter with him till to that moment? See, like it's hard to pinpoint a moment because if you look at the articles in the court papers, it says like seventeen days or something. I mean, I think that there was always like a element there, but um yeah, it's hard to pinpoint exactly how long it went on for because 
It was very much on and off. And I dropped out of college then as well, halfway through first year. So, you know, I moved. I wasn't like in the same circles. I wasn't socialising like on the college nights anymore. I was became kind of like a weekend night out person then. Um, so, yeah, just when your schedule changes, yeah, it's hard, hard mm. to like... Pinpoint it. Yeah. And so... You mentioned that you seen him in the bushes um, mm. when he shaved his head. Was there any other like glaring moments? You're like, please, somebody like look what's happening here. This isn't right because you've mentioned one or two where your friend seen him and he was hiding. He says, "Shush." Mm. A lot of people could brush them off and be like, "If hey, you're exaggerating," but I mean, if I look outside my window and there's someone there completely shaved everything, yeah, that's that's a major red flag. Like, you you couldn't you couldn't say that's an everyday thing or mm. someone's being shoulders. Was there any other moments where you're like, please, somebody listen to me here? This is I don't know. I think like I was in a lot of denial as well as it was happening because I didn't want to accept what was happening. And I think like getting to grips with that, like I think I had to get to grips with that when he was outside with everything shaved off because yeah. up until then... There's no excuse, you can't deny that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And up until then, it was nearly easier for me to like suppress it or like excuse it for something else or to try and rationalise it another way. But like, yeah, at that point, that was, you know, and there, I think there was only a couple of days between that and when he actually broke in. So there was very little time to process the in-between. But then my like next biggest fear was having to see him through court and like seeing if he'd get out on bail as well because he kept appealing his bail um, so I think it's after the first two times it goes to the high court hmm. so then when it was going to the high court I was like okay I have to tell my family now because I didn't so you hadn't it. even called your family no because I was like oh like they're gonna like make me move home from Galway or like yeah you know, you anybody yeah like my friends knew and who I worked with knew and like I suppose, like I use humour a lot to like deal with things I think and I was like nearly making jokes out of it myself hmm. and you know, even though I remember think back to that time at McDonald's where I was like, what, she's going to show up now? And then he did, you know, and then I was like, right, I'm going to go confront him. Like, you want to be strong and like still like yourself to a point. But I think, yeah, once it like goes past a certain point, it just completely like changes who you are massively because it impacts so many things. Like you're not sleeping properly. Mm. You're dreaming about it. You can't get away from it when you're in work, you know can't get away from it when you're socialising, like, it's there all the time. Like, even when the person isn't present, like, they're still present, like, in your head. Yeah, um, yeah. When he got in the balcony that time, what did he do when he damaged your friend with the hammer that time? Um, so she had, like, yeah, bruises and, like, uh, marks on her hands. Um, yeah, and but, then the guy that found them, obviously, you said, like, 20 minutes later. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, so, like, what was he arrested on Yeah. Like so, he actually was released from prison there um, last week. So what? released from prison? Yeah. <laughs> How the fuck is he out? So after all this. He act because for ages I didn't actually know what he was prosecuted on because when you're in the courts and you're going through the courts, like and as well, like it wasn't until I went to the high court that I found out that there was an iPhone Viagra there as well. Because for a while we were kind of like, oh maybe because I was dating a guy, we were like maybe it's him that he's going for instead of me. Because he's angry at him for being with me, you know, like, so then, like, it was, I suppose, sitting in the high court, finding out that there was a knife in Viagra, that's when, like, the penny fully dropped on, like, um, he, he was prosecuted for aggravated burglary and, um, harassment. Um, at the time, harassment was up to five years. Um, but well, he'd served, like, just over three and a half or something. So like. that's, the harassment part is for you what he's done to you yeah so he bogled your house as well did he not get done on assaulting your friend no well they consider aggra like aggravated burglary the like assault is tied into the aggravated part yeah as like what was explained to me um instead of like assault because yeah I don't know like he wasn't prosecuted for the knife or the Viagra either because his fingerprints weren't on them I'm just trying to wrap my head around this so when he when the guy to catch him and, and the are he's going through the court system you're obviously called in then to give a statement about all this eh? yeah yeah well I had done a, there was I think two statements like my first statement was like 14 and a half pages long or something ridiculously mad because it had taken so long for number one for me to report it to the guards number two for the guards to say okay let's take a statement so the first one was really really big and then the second one was the night before he broke in and then I think, yeah, there would have been another one then after the break-in. So then when you're going through the courts, you 
are kind of waiting to see whether they're going to plead innocent or guilty because if he pleaded not guilty, then I would have had to have gone to trial. And I like already remember like, you know, defence solicitors coming at me, like saying that I wasn't telling the full story. They said that I owed him money and that's why he broke in to get the money back. Which, like, come on, like, come up with a better excuse at least. Mm. I just remember being like, what the actual hell? And like being really worried as well that people were going to not like not believe me or like actually believe that or think that I was lying. You know, there's always that in the back of your head as well, I think. Um, because you're so in disbelief of it yourself that you're kind of, yeah, like worried that people aren't going to believe you. Believe it, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he did decide to plead guilty then. But I mean, it was another over a year going through the courts. And not only that, COVID hit then. So you're going through the courts and I, I couldn't even bring people in for support through a lot of it. I remember my dad coming down um, to Galway to come to court with me one time. And when we went up to the door, they wouldn't let my dad in. And then when I went into the courtroom, his dad was in there. And I just was so frustrated and like deflated at that point with the court system. I actually think I actually that year where I was going through the courts, I called out my gap year because I have so many like memory blanks as to what happened in that time. Because I think the trauma of going through court. Yeah, yeah. you just blank it out. Yeah, exactly. Like because you're reliving what happened. You're also in front of him. He was smiling at me across the courtroom. I, there was very little times I had support in there with me, seeing his dad in there with me, not understanding the legal jargon or the ways that the court worked. Like sometimes the case would finish and I'd be like, what just happened? Yeah. And, and the uncertainty, you're like, is he off with this now? Like, you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like my detective would have been there with me and explained some of it. He wasn't the worst, but I didn't know that there were services like victim support at court. I never reached out to the rape crisis centre because I felt like I, I couldn't because it was a stalking case. Never reached out to Women's Aid because I didn't, like, I never heard any mention of stalking around these services. So yeah. And he, I was just like, there's no one that can, like, help me with this. Um, and I really thought that I was the only person in the country who had experienced something like this. Yeah. So you said he got done on harassment. What does, what's the definition of that so you can prosecute someone with that? It's a really, like, it's from the law itself. It's from 1997. It's, yeah, basically the word in it is besetting someone. Um, like harassment and stalking a lot of people use the terms interchangeably yeah but I wouldn't really like it's you can't say that one outweighs more than the other but I think the intent behind the two of them is different because if you're harassing someone like you're trying to get at them yeah I think you're it's trying more to annoy them yeah it? it's more there's more interaction with harassment yeah and stalking it's more intimidation it's premeditated as well yeah it's it more intimidation from the outside though isn't it like, yeah I could stand across the road from you yeah You'd be like, oh, I'm like, I'm just standing here, not doing that. Yeah. That'd be stalking where harassment, I'd be coming over and giving you abuse. Yeah. yeah. That's what you look at. But about, as you said, yeah, you can't say which one outweighs more. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the intent behind the two is different yeah. as well. And like, I think that's why the guards didn't do anything until he had done something. Like, I remember after the time when he showed up in the bushes as well, I remember turning to my friend and saying, nothing's going to be done until something happens. Yeah. And she was so, like, the law is more reactive than proactive. Yeah, yeah, the harassment law, yeah, definitely. And especially because I didn't have that direct contact. The guards felt, well, he's not harassing her, but he, he was stalking me. And I think that that's like, is why we need a stalking law. It's like so important that we, you know, like I understand why the terms can be used interchangeably at times. But like, for me, I think it's also important that we recognize that there's differences. Yeah. And like actually have the language there in the law, like not even just for like, victims or you know people that are experiencing it or think that they might be experiencing it to understand but like for the guards to look at legislation and be like oh yeah okay that's what that person is experiencing there's a law against that here's the actions we can take to like mitigate those factors or to stand in before it gets more serious because it did reach a point where my case where I was just waiting for something more serious to happen yeah and like not knowing whether I was going to survive that like more serious point or not Obviously, it was very traumatic for you. What was it like in the coming days after, like when he's in custody and all? Like, well, just like I didn't know what was really happening. I remember, like after he broke in, I like got on to my manager and I was like, "Can I come into work early?" Because I went, <laughs> I went to work. Um, because I was working in the storeroom at the time, and I could see the commu computer monitor with all the cameras for the shop, and there was a code to get in, so I felt like safe in there. Mm. So I think I kind of like hid my way myself away and distracted myself. 
away from it a lot. And there was a lot of people I didn't talk to it about uh, properly until I went public with it. it was, during lockdown, I was working for like another clothes brand and I was a manager. So I'd still be like in the shop with the other manager, like doing online bits or whatever during lockdown. And this other guy that um, I like, he, you know, sometimes there's just like characters around town. They're, you know, kind of someone that you want to like avoid maybe. Um, yeah, he just started hanging outside the shop loads. And I was like, is this actually happening again? And uh, there was a couple of times where he tried to get into the shop when it was closed. Um, I had had like negative interactions with him before. And I was just and I, yeah, I was just at that point, I was like, right, OK, I kind of want to flag this with the guards just in case something happens and I started like making a log on my phone and sort of getting videos of him every time he was outside the shop and then like once you do that you do start to see a pattern build um, and a lot of people that are st- I don't know what the statistics is I think there was a study done in Northern Ireland but there is like quite a chunk of people that like once they're stalked once they report being stalked twice and it's kind of like is it more of a thing where people are able to identify it better once it happens the first time so that was happening and I still wasn't really sure on it. And then it was after one of the lockdowns that the shop reopened and the first day the shop opened, he came straight for me on the shop floor and I turned into the staff room and my manager was like so good at the time. Like she called the guard down and, you know, he took it seriously. And then, um, well, so what I did was I saved all the videos, created the timeline, made the log, went to the guards with it gave my phone into the guard station and like if you're giving evidence from your phone they have to download everything off your phone which is what puts a lot of people off like reporting crimes because mm. it's like quite invasive to go in and like hand your fo- whole phone over to the guards and they like get download all the data from it Um, but I did that anyways and waited to hear back from the prosecution service and they just came back to me and said that like oh, they didn't find, like, enough evidence for prosecution of harassment. I was just like, oh, my God, is this happening again? (laughs) What is going on? He actually did end up going back to prison for, like, something else. He's been in and out since. And thankfully, like, doesn't bother me anymore. But I still do see him around. But it was like, yeah, during those few weeks as well when I heard about Una Ring's case. And I was just like, oh, my God, I want to talk to that woman because I know where she's at. I've experienced something similar. Like I knew it would be good for both of us to talk. So I had been contacted by the Ryan Tuberty show before and wasn't like comfortable like being, I don't know, so open about my story, I think, because when your life is so exposed or you've had someone following you and like watching your details, like it can be so scary to even like think about going and publicly like sharing your details with strangers. But just after that in- interaction with your man and then, yeah, I know I got put in contact with Una and we spoke for like an hour and a half on the phone and we got on really well. And we both said that like, OK, we want to at least create a website or something that people can look to for advice or support if they like find themselves in this situation. And then literally, I think it was the next day, me and my friend met in town for a coffee and we were sitting down at the Spanish Arch and this like man came up and he started sharing loads of abuse at us saying that like women are good for nothing only having babies and all of this like this was completely unprovoked we were just sitting down having a coffee and it was because we wouldn't talk to him and he started screaming at us and then he spat at us and I was like no not okay I was like right down to the guard station here we go again I went in and you know I really had to ask the guard to take a statement and I was just like you're supposed to be telling people to make a statement if something like this happens and he was like well are you sure that he spat at you now because you know that's a, like a lot of paperwork <laughs> kind of thing. And I was like, no, okay. I rang up um, the producer who had contacted me and I was like, okay, I'm ready to go public with my story now because this is just like yeah. too many things happening, nothing being done about it. And just like my frustration, I suppose, with how I was being treated like as a young woman by, I think at the, like, at the time, to be honest, a lot of that, that anger was towards the guards. Yeah, and it puts pressure on them then. They have to be seen to do something. Huh? They have to be more proactive with it. Yeah, exactly. And like, I don't want to paint them all with the same brush either because some of them have been fantastic. And I think a lot of it is that they haven't been trained properly. Yeah. Like they don't understand the laws. Like the laws are complicated. Like probably like are trained to an extent. But like, you know, I've been like trained in like sexual assault disclosures and things like that now. Like, And then once you start learning how you should respond to people that are disclosing something to you, whether it be stalking or sexual assault 
or, you know, that they're suicidal. Once you like realize, you know, this is what you should say or not say, you start thinking back to maybe experiences that you've had with people that should know yeah, these things. The professionals. Yeah, exactly. Um, Do you know who Sarah Grace is? No. She was sexually assaulted and um, her assault basically nearly murdered her, broke into the house, nearly killed her. But she she was on this podcast and she spoke about her experience and she said the same thing about our interaction with the police then, how they handled it and they handled it very poorly on, yeah. the, like, on the night of the event. And maybe that is something that they need to look into going forward is more training in these scenarios because they need to be seen to be the deterrent here because if somebody's able to sit outside your gaff in the bushes and as much as they want, what's to stop them from doing it if the guy can't stop them? Exactly. Um, what is the current law then around stalking in Ireland or is that one? So like, I mean, it's being prosecuted or like what the Department of Justice's response was is that stalking is being prosecuted under harassment legislation. But like, I just didn't find that that was effective. And if you look in England or in Scotland, they brought in stalking laws in um, 2011 and the rate of reporting like nearly doubled within the first year of them just introducing those laws. So mm. like without the language in the legislation, people don't understand what it is or what it is that they're reporting. The guards aren't understanding. You know, it's hard. You can't gather data or statistics on it either if there's mm. no law there track it, yeah. to yeah. track it with. So, you know, it's just this huge, huge gap. And I mean, a lot of, I think after the pandemic, you know, there is, and what I've been like learning more about recently as well as cyber stalking, it's just, it's so tragic and it's like so, I just, now that I know and I've looked into it and done like my own research on it, stalking is so prevalent and it's one of those things that could really, like if we intervene at that stage, it could prevent so, so much like, from, yeah, oh, yeah. from happening. But it's like hard when there's no support services, when there's no laws, when the guards don't know about it. Um, another thing as well, and I think I'm going to be doing my dissertation on this, is like the way that popular culture and particularly romantic comedies um, frame love. Like a lot of it is stalking. Like you have these like narratives where there's... Real obsessive. Yeah, there's like this girl and, you know, there's this like nice guy who comes around and he's, you know, attracted to her and she rejects him and then he keeps trying and keeps trying and keeps trying and eventually she gives in. Like that's not what happens in real life. Mm. And then it like, you know, young lads are growing up watching this thinking, oh... You know, I just have to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. And then, you know, young girls are like growing up watching this then thinking like, oh, is this what like love is supposed to be? Like The Notebook is supposed to be one of the most romantic films yeah. of all time. Trying to kill himself if she doesn't go out with him. Yeah, literally. He's literally hanging off the blade in the Paris wheel. I'm going to drop it if you don't come out with me. And yeah. they're like, oh, that's so that romantic. in the film? In the film, he climbs up the thing and uh, he's holding on to it with his two hands. And she's like, I'm not, I'm not going out with you. So he lets one hand go and he's swinging on the thing with one hand and everyone's panicking and all. And she's like, right, right, get down and we'll, we'll go out then. And everyone's like, that's, that's, that's a great problem, isn't that. it? Yeah. And that's like framed as romantic. And you grow up when you're a teenage girl, you think that, the okay, I've, we're going to have a girly night in and watch a romantic movie and cry. And I can guarantee that most girls have done that at some point yeah. mm. with their female friends and you know, we're being led to believe that this is romantic and that this is what love is supposed to be when in fact it's like really just unhealthy relationships and it's repeated time and time again through romantic comedies or even in like some of the superhero movies. You'll have a superhero stalking uh, a love interest to keep her safe and it's like, oh, he's, he's just doing this because he he cares about her and he's following her around and stuff and then, you know, they fall in love in the end and I think that's what the really harmful toxic message like put out by these movies is is that yeah. like in the end oh eventually if you keep trying they're going to fall in love with you it definitely does more harm than, I, than good I think a, a good one the last couple of years is You on Netflix I haven't watched <laughs> you haven't watched it oh. no. watch, watch the fourth episode and that's it that's probably like I, I think there's a reason why she hasn't yeah <laughs> like yeah. honestly like but you know what I mean I don't blame you yeah you know I, mean? I remember watching the fourth episode and I was like whoa this is twisted you know yeah. and like that's someone who's obsessed watches from a distance mm -hmm. alters their life and their schedule to meet a person and then falls in love with them like supposedly by accident you know what I mean and you're like mm. like I would like to watch it to like see the like see that point of view perspective because I don't know if that like was done before It'd be interesting but what was funny was like I was waiting until I was in a place where I wouldn't be triggered to like could sit down and watch that because 
I used to love like murder mysteries and documentaries and things like that. But like after that happened, I just wouldn't be able to watch it or else yeah. I'd be waking up. Not even nightmares, like night terrors. It's just like next level. You wake up and you can't get back to sleep because you go into that like fright or flight mode where you just like think that something's going to happen. And even if you your brain is like, okay, no, you're fine. Your body is still like, because of the trauma, your body oh, is still it. like, yeah. yeah, you're just like waiting for something to happen. So, um, yeah, I think that I was nearly at a stage to be able to watch you. And then I knew that the release date was coming up in a couple of months. But I just had a feeling that, so you're supposed to be contacted by the Irish Prison Service when you've been a victim of a crime and they're being released. And I just, from my experience in the courts, my experience with guards, just everything, I just had a feeling that there would be something a miss or that I w- there'd be information left out. So I just contacted them to make sure that his release date was still what his release date was supposed to be. And they were like, oh, hi, thanks for contacting us. They got back like a week later. So basically his release date was there a few weeks ago and they were like, oh, I think it was the 25th of February they gave. They basically gave me yeah a release date that was a lot sooner than what it was supposed to be. And I was just like completely just knocked back into that trauma zone. I am in my master's now and I only took on that master's knowing that lectures would have been finished by the time that he would have got out and I could have left. I had like, you know, in my head was going to like create this plan and then all of a sudden I was faced with, oh, I only have a couple of weeks to get this plan together. Not only that, like it was only thanks to Una that like I got contact from a guard and my detective did eventually contact me because like the guards handled her case absolutely brilliantly. So that's why I'm also like, I don't want to, deter people from reporting to the guards because it is so important that you do that as early as possible and like if you're in any way worried do like push that with people because better safe than sorry but yeah anyways then the detective got back to me and he gave me a different date as to what the IPS gave me and I was just like okay can someone just give me like the actual date because that means a lot to you as well like you know I'm like what's my last day of freedom because that's how I'd view it I felt so cheated as well because I was like Jesus, it doesn't seem like we're barely out of the pandemic. I've, you know, been locked away in in some sense for this amount of time. It just, I feel like I'm just getting back on my feet and just moving on with things. And now he's out again. And I was just like, there was a couple of weeks there where I just couldn't, like, I was like, I'm going to drop out of college. I just wanted to give up on everything. I was like, everything that we've worked for is pointless. You know, if the laws that we had campaigned for had come through, come through I'd at least be able to apply for a protection order I can't get a restraining order I can't get a no contact order because we weren't in a relationship I just yeah just found it really hard to like process him getting out early even though it was only like a couple of months or whatever in the difference to what it was supposed to be it just took a huge knock on effect like I still haven't caught up with college work and stuff since those few weeks like Mm. I'm still like nah you know like I'm fine now this week but like even you know it's like gradually building that back up and had to go back to counselling gotten security cameras installed in our house like all this like I took time off work ended up in hospital like all this huge like knock-on effect which is still kind of impacting me not only like emotionally and mentally but financially as well my like college work um and there just doesn't seem to be supports in place um, and I'm not entitled to very much information about him or his probation because you know in the eyes of justice he's served his time yeah mm. what did he serve in the end How it was long? just over three and a half years yeah did, what did he get uh, sentenced with seven years for the aggravated burglary with two suspended and then um, I think like five years for the harassment and they're like simultaneous cases so like, they run yeah, concurrently yeah 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 yeah, it just doesn't make sense at all and like you know the prison system I'm sure like is not the right solution to solving society problems like this but at the same time when you are fearing for your life because of one person you know that time where they're away is so important um, especially because it took like he was even a year after he was in prison, I'd be waking up and hearing a noise outside and thinking it's that it's him. Yeah. Like there was people telling me that they had seen him around Galway and that he must have been left out. And then I'd be contacting like the guards and not hearing anything back for a week and like spending a week thinking that he was out there somewhere. So like, 
yeah, there's just, yeah, not, not and a nice time. There's no, like, legal route you can go down or, like, civic route to get, like, a, a restraining order or anything? Not at the minute, no, not yet. Hopefully before summer. So this is what you're campaigning for, this is the law you're trying to bring into place, is it? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, like, the news, it's called the Criminal Miscellaneous Bill. So we did draft a bill, me and Una and a senator, Lisa Chambers, um, and that reached halfway stage of the legislative process because there's 10 stages. So it got, like, got through the five stages and we were like, okay, halfway there. And that was over a year ago. And then the Ashling Murphy case happened and like that had a huge knock-on effect across all the country and hit so many people on like such a deep level. And I think that was kind of the first time where we heard from the Department of Justice and they were like, okay, we're ready to listen now. So we met with Helen McEntee and she said like, okay, we have the criminal miscellaneous bill coming up with non-fatal strangulation in it as well. We want to incorporate your bill into this bill because it'll be, you know, it'll be a bill brought by the actual Department of Justice and it'll be quicker going through and there's the civil protection orders in it. So we were happy with that, but like we thought that it would be in by now. I was really hoping it would be in before he got out because... Um, yeah, just like I would have been able to say say now if he like shows up again outside my house or outside my work or anywhere I go. Um, I don't know what I'm entitled to at the minute. Any service that I contact is unsure as well. Um, but at least if that law was in now, I'd be able to go and apply for a civil protection order, which is like a restraining order. And in England, they have, they call them stalking protection orders and they're, you know, brought in and it kind of it's that way of intervening before things get too bad yeah because i think that's what we should focus on instead of like looking at the aftermath of like oh how do we treat people that have stalked people it's like oh no how do we like intercept before it gets that bad yeah exactly definitely yeah yeah don't let it snowball why was that a delay if like if they kind of attached it with the law in the department of justice with helen mcatee what yeah. the delay since that's been over a year yeah, like, I mean, it is moving to the next stage on the, the week of the 28th of March and that'll be, that'll bring us up to where the last one was. Yeah. But to be honest, I don't know, like, the way that the houses work, like, it just depends on what the government are giving attention to and what the priority is. And we were told that it was a priority, but with very little movement. So recently... You know, I wasn't going to do any more media work after he got out, but like mm. just with the delay of it, I'm like, and everything that I've experienced now on the other side of like, you know, after they get out and the trouble with the services after that, I'm like, oh God, there's so much more work that needs to be done. Like the le legislation is only one step of it and that should just, you know, fly through really. Um, but once it passes this stage on this week, it moves into the Shannad and, um, Lisa, who had worked on us with the first bill, is actually leader of the Shannon now and she's committed to like blocking out time so that it can just like move as fast as possible. So they're saying before summer at the latest, which I really hope they stick to because it's still, I'd say like, even if I'm not doing any media work, I still have like at least one person coming up to me a week saying like, these could be people I know saying that they've been and it's, it always starts with the, oh, I had this thing with this person. It's like not that serious, but, and then they'll go on and tell me some really, really dramatic story. Mm. And I'm like, no, what happened to you? Like, is not okay. And, mm. you know, that is stalking. And they're like, oh yeah, I didn't want to do anything because I didn't want to make a fuss or didn't think people would believe me or didn't want to draw attention to it or I was just trying to move on with my life kind of thing. So... I mean, like, it's so it's so much more prevalent than people realise, I think, as well. Yeah. What did you do to help with the trauma of this whole thing? Definitely counselling was a huge thing for me. Mm. Like, it's so important. I'm back in counselling now, obviously, like, since I found out that he got out. And I gelled really well with my counsellor. Like, she's brilliant. I've been really lucky to have her. But, I mean, like, I think as well, being able to see that, like, there is somewhat change happening has definitely played a part in helping me like process my own trauma and like seeing something positive come from it yeah yeah because when me and una spoke for the first time and we were talking about like putting together a website or information we were like okay if we help <clears throat> one more person then it makes what we went through worth it hmm. and just the amount of people that reached out and like say that we helped them or 
that, you know, they took, they maybe would have heard like an interview that we did on the radio and then took the advice and like it was treated properly. You know, that that stuff, I think, helps you process your own experience and trauma as well. But I think it is always something that I'm going to have to manage. I don't think it'll just go away. Go away. Yeah. 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 Um, this new legislation does it cover cyber as well. Cyber like stalking or harassment. Yeah. So Coco's law actually mentions cyber stalking a bit. Um, it's so much harder to pinpoint cyber stalking because people can get in, um, a VPN and just like bounce their IP address away. Mm. Mm. I know that Ali Ryan, you know, the yeah. founder of Goss, she's working on certain yeah legislation at the moment which she hopes to introduce about like tackling online trolls and to maybe start thinking i think it's like about people verifying their accounts more yeah because i think that's the only way that we're actually going to be able to start to tackle cyber stalking or online stalking because it can be it's so easy to like for people to cyber stalk people um especially you know if people are in a relationship with someone you know, I've had people tell me that their boyfriends downloaded secret apps on their phones that like screen record things that they're doing and they didn't find out about it until after the breakup. And there's so much technology now that like a lot of people aren't aware of that extends like GPS trackers as well. Or there was a case about a year ago where a guy had set up a camera in um, a woman's house and and he had like 90 days recording of her. Um you know, things like this. And I think people don't take the online stalking as seriously sometimes as in person, mm. but it still is going to have that like emotional impact on a person because we spend like so much of our times on our phones. Now we are all so on, like most people are online at least once a day. And mm. I have one friend in particular that was really badly cyber stalked. And when she was telling me her story, she, she was like, Oh, I don't want it to be, you know, and I hate when people do that they're about to tell me their experience and they're like, oh, not to make a big deal out of it because I know you went to worse because I wouldn't consider... I just don't think you can like put a scale on... The, yeah, exactly, yeah. But I mean, you know, she was getting emails. He used to only email her from three o'clock in the morning to five o'clock in the morning. You know, she blocked the accounts and more were made and no matter what she did, he was still finding her. She changed her email address, found a way to contact her. And, you know, only... And then she'd wake up and not want to check it, knowing that they were there. But, you know, your curiosity would get the better of you. Mm. Um, and if you're getting like threats of anonymous people online as well, you never know what direction that's going to come from. Yeah. I have another friend that was getting really strange messages of like people in Galway saying that like, oh, he had seen her walking down the street and was wondering what she was wearing under her clothes and all this. And she was like, oh, I don't know what spooks me the most is not knowing who it was that said that or, you know, so I think that as well, like online stalking can lead to in-person stalking and in-person stalking can lead to online stalking. Like there is that like... They go kind of hand. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. The way we live our lives, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there is, we have like included by electronic means in yeah. the bill. So like it is there in the legislation. But like there's one thing having the legislation. It's just like making sure the guards are trained to know what to do. And if it happens. That, yeah. yeah. And making sure like judges understand it in the courts as well. I'd say a lot of people listen to this and be like, Jesus, I didn't know that they can probably relate to that and they probably have similar experiences. Mm -hmm. But as you said, cases go up once you make people more aware of what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know, it's probably an Irish thing, but it's very innocent. Like you said, people will be like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And then they tell you something that's really traumatic. Yeah. yeah. And it, uh, there'll be a lot of that. So I'd say there'll be people listening to this being like, something similar happened to me. It wasn't that bad though. And then, yeah. as you and said, it's hard to have to that realisation and like, in some senses, it's hard when there's someone standing in front of you telling a story and you're looking at them being like, they think it's not that serious. Like, do I drop the bomb and tell them you've been stalked? Or like, is do you let the ignorance is bliss thing kind yeah. of happen? Mm. But then like, you know, you don't know, is this going to like affect you later on in life if you're suppressing it? So like what I know now is that there's so many organizations out there. Like, although there's no stalking specific ones, like Women's Aid or, you know, their phone lines, they have a 24-hour helpline. They're always willing to listen. The rape crisis centres are brilliant as well. Like, just because, you know, you, like, think, have a, an association with certain organisations with, like, certain things. Yeah. You know, it always is, is worth contacting them. And for people in colleges as well, there's a new tool that was introduced by the Department of Education called Speak Out, so you can report things anonymously there. 
and there is bodies within um, colleges that are, you know, there to kind of deal with this, like student unions and things. Um, So, like, it is always important, even if you're not sure of it, just to, like, make that contact with people. And, like, you know, it's all well and good telling things to your friends, but your friends might not be equipped to deal with it or they probably won't know how to give you the right advice. Um, It's important to have the support there, but it's also important to kind of reach out to services that are equipped to deal with this. Yeah. Um, what is the name of your website that you and owner set up? So ours was stalking.ie. It's not currently active at the moment. We need to kind of get it up and going. Um, but there is, over in England, there is the Susie Lampley Trust and the Alice Ruggles Trust. They You can access them from an Irish perspective and they have all the like help and advice that we would have had on that. I mean, Una used to do, do like talk to people one-on-ones like we had our own email addresses up so that people could contact us but we have to pull back because they're just the amount of people that contacted us got overwhelming mm. and then you obviously want to help everyone but we weren't we're dealing with our own trauma we weren't like equipped or trained or we were working as well and like i'm back in college so we're trying to like manage our own lives and move on with our own lives yeah. deal with our own trauma so i mean if people message me i'll always kind of get back to them with a bit of advice but we don't like help as much on a one-on-one basis yeah. in the same capacity because it's just like unsustainable really and uh, it would be unfair to like say that we can help everyone and then not be able to follow through with that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. understandable though. Yeah, if thanks very much for coming up and telling our story, it definitely no couldn't be easy. So we do really do appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we see uh, the legislation pushed through as soon as possible and uh, there's a lot more protection in place for women in Ireland. Thank you so um, much. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Thanks yes. very much, Jeff. Thank you. Right, episode one sixteen. That's done. Take us out there, Chris. Boom. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app. What you waiting for? Put your back in it. Just a little more. Try your wits in it now. Fill your body up in. Walk it high and low when you finish that. The hip knocker.